Hello, welcome to Haunted Picture Palace. My name is Amelia, this is Ben. Hello. And we're going to talk to you today about Twiglet. Twilight indeed. Yes. Yes. What year was Twilight, please? 2008. I should have checked that. Yeah, I? <laughs> I didn't check it either. 2008. From 2008. Exciting. Oh, it's yes. a shaky cam ride of our lives. <laughs> Many things are a better love story than it, but it seemed it seemed ridiculous to us to be doing vampire season and not to include Twilight, especially given that it's still massively in the cultural matrix. So here it is. Indeed. Yeah, it's massively in the cultural matrix and it was an enormous hit, a budget of about 37 million mm. uh, and it made upwards of 400 million on just on box Jeez. office alone which is basically a bajillion pounds <laughs> uh, you know in all practical all practical terms and it remains a rarity in mm. that it is directed by a woman and also adapted by another woman from a book written by another woman which is still a rarity these days weird so unusual yeah yeah I mean, it's over a decade old for fans. It's like well over a decade old. I want you to feel your age. <laughs> feel it. Feel betrayed by the soothing voice. Right. <coughs> I put, ah, oh, yes. The much-memed opening credits. Fragile deer and some shaky cam. And it looks like an Alt-J video. <laughs> Does it not? It does a little bit. Um, I bloody love the score. Throughout this film, I'm ashamed to say, I will say, Muse let the team down hardcore from this particular album onwards. So we won't count them, but everybody else on it I really enjoy. Definitely, it's sort of an ageing new metal and chill step fans guilty pleasure wet dream kind of soundtrack, the whole thing. Yeah, it's 2008 and it does feel very 2008. Yeah. But this is in the nature of things that are incredibly contemporary is that they date a lot quicker than yes. other things because they are so on the money with the old zeitgeist. Absolutely. I remember being of a certain much younger age than I am now and being in the queue for Paranormal Activity 2, I believe, is what I was there in my local cinema in Falmouth to go and see. And a very small newspaper crew came up to interview people in the queue, assuming everybody was there to see Twilight. And they got such a mouthful from me, I ended up in the paper saying, you will not associate me with vampires that sparkle. I'll show you good vampire films and just absolutely went for it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, I boycotted it for about 10 years and now here we are. It did have so much scorn poured on it that you really would imagine that it was... Just the worst movie ever made, yeah. according to some people. I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit more later on about some of the particular criticisms that it received. But yeah, I but I, even now, even I, even me, I can look at it and go, "Oh, actually, I see why this is entertaining. This is actually quite a good film. It's oh, yeah. just not anything anyone was expecting, and certainly at that point, not anything I wanted. It removes <laughs> the fun from vampire films." Yeah, it it removes the fun, makes it. Yeah, it's it's vampire, but make it emo, and stick a blue filter on it. You know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, one of the interesting things about it, it's directed by Catherine Hardwick, mm -hmm. who 
I know from 13, the Holly Hunter teen drama, which is an exceptionally good film, I recommend. And after she made this, she went on to do a film adaptation of Red Riding Hood. So I wonder if it's sort of slightly in a fairy tale. I wonder if we should look at it as more of a fairy tale than a, a vampire film per se. You're looking at me like that's a bad idea. I, I know I'm doing a face, but you haven't seen that film. It is truly, truly poor. <laughs> I don't know how they got some very good actors to act poorly, but but she did. Fair enough. Um, I I like the idea of. I think I genuinely prefer looking at it rather than as a fairy tale as a deviant art fan fiction come to life. <laughs> Fair I enough. do. It it really is like it ticks every single box of that kind of that and again. Listeners of a certain generation will know exactly what I mean when I say that because, yes, fair enough, some people were there for the pictures, but a lot more of us were there for, like, the borderline naughty writings. (laughs) And it does have that edge to it, that, like, really intense, ridiculous view of love that a teenager writing that sort of stuff would have, but that younger teenagers would be like, OMG, this is life. Yeah, yeah, and I do. I am going to talk more later on about the... About the version of love that it presents, yes. about the way in which it pre- presents love, because I think there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. Yeah. A lot of which I assume is from the novel, which I haven't read. I was putting that out there at the beginning. Although I haven't actually read it all the way through, I have picked up a copy in several train stations in the past, just because they've been lurking. And I did used to watch Charlie Day on YouTube, who is probably like a 45-year-old man by now, but at the time <laughs> was a very cute young Londoner reading bits out and critiquing (laughs) (laughs) rather forcefully critiquing forcefully critiquing as he went along it's worth your time yeah but yes um talking of charlie Mm -hmm. here's charlie chief of police with the pawn tash where it says lol forks because she's doing a little monologue about how she has to live in forks (laughs) oh yes she refers to her dad as charlie so i put charlie the chief of police with the pawn tash. right okay Yeah. yeah sure I feel like these small American logger towns are very speci- a very specific phenomenon that we just couldn't possibly understand as two people growing up in the UK. Yeah, small town America is something I only know from cinema, really, and television. Yeah. I feel like this is an even smaller and more claustrophobic town than Ginger Snaps, actually. Mm. It's, weirdly, there's even less suburbia. It's like those bigger houses that you get in these places that are purely there for logs. <laughs> you know, very <laughs> yeah. Twin Peaksy small town vibe. Yeah, yeah. And also, we are very near. We find out in a little bit that we are very near the reservations. So it sure. really is like the back middle of nowhere. Um, Forks is a real place. I feel like. Oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which I only realised when we got to the credits at the end, and they are they're thanking thanked. Forks. Yeah, <laughs> thank Forks Thanks. for that. <laughs> Yeah, and I feel like Twin Peaks is a very obvious... It's low-hanging fruit in terms of reference points. Mm. But I did get that kind of vibe from this in a lot of... At multiple points throughout. It'll probably come up because I've I've got my notes in front of me. Mm. Um, I also put that we have strong craft overtones where she's plonked into a new situation. She's not close with her dad but her dad's quite involved with you know as in similar similar dynamic and also being put back into a small place coming from a bigger place a bigger town i also put the kind of glaringly obvious directorial choice to have her just holding a cactus because she's spiky sure yeah (laughs) well it's like also the opening uh scene of the deer uh, being hunted yeah i wonder (laughs) 
Yes. Who is the deer? And then I put wheelchair banter. This bit of banter here seems is really weirdly sort of stilted and staged. Oh, and really? really? Odd for me. I think it's this. Are they, it's it's the equivalent of saying things like, um, "Oh, don't get up," you know yeah. that kind of <laughs> yeah <laughs> silly thing. It's just a strange. I didn't mind it. It was meant to look like they were pally, and actually, Charlie is much more affectionate towards this guy than he is his own daughter. And I think it was meant to highlight how estranged they are. Yes. Because yeah, it sure. shows that he's capable of banter with his pal, and yeah. completely, you know, he's completely relaxed with him, and he's sort of relieved to see him. Mm-hmm. It's also just an excuse to introduce us to Jacob. Yes. Um, yes, it did. It did just feel. I, I know why it's there. I see why it's there. No, it I just. Know. It's just. It just struck an odd note so so early in the film for me, and uh, this is where she gets given her truck, right? Yes, and doesn't say thank you, hello, till much later. Well, I was confused. I obviously I'm going to talk about the truck. Oh, sure, of course. (laughs) Because it's a 1963 Chevrolet C10 pickup. And I couldn't tell whether she was genuinely pleased with it or not at first. Oh, really? Because it struck me, it didn't strike me as as something that she would like, based on the very little I knew about her character. My suspicion is that she just had, it just had freedom painted all over it for her. <laughs> and again, because she's in such a small place, she would have had to depend on lifts from him yeah, that's the true. entire time. So I did take it as liking it, but I've also written as the note on that scene, the queen of not emoting, effectively, ever. And watch out for that one, because she really can't emote the emotion that she's supposed to be in the moment. And I do believe it's a directorial choice, not because I think Kirsten Stewart is an incredible actress. I just think some of them are too weird. Some of them are too weird to to have been her initial response to the script. You <laughs> yeah, know? Yeah. Some of the lip biting, some of the unnecessary like tossing and turning. It's beyond Sarah from the craft. It's it's into like surreal territory. She's a lot younger than the cast of the craft as well. Uh, oh, that's she, a good point. She turned eighteen during the shoot. Oh, so that's she's interesting. Seventeen or you know, obviously they they didn't film it that chronologically. Day, no. So I don't know but certainly she is a teenager. She's a genuine, authentic teenager through yes. this, which is nice. Yeah, that is nice. That does make me f- forgive a lot of sins, actually, acting-wise. Although she had a, she was a child actor. She has a career before this. Yeah, what she yeah, was yeah. In, but, but I just uh, mean that does feel more acceptable to me than <laughs> if that had been a 25-year-old who was doing a really weird impression of a 17-year-old and that involved her not being able to show emotion. Yeah, no, that's fair. <laughs> Are you happy to move on from the car scene? I'm going to go to her first day at school. Yes, of course. So we have a Mean Girls moment, um, essentially, where this is the first day in school. I move school a lot as a small child. Arriving midterm is literally the worst. It's always the worst. It's got the teen movie tour guide trope. Yeah. Someone who turns up and says, oh, hey, and actually is a massive sleaze. But it's, again, super 2008, actually, that. Uh, Weirdly, despite it being a kind of nod to the 90s stuff, it really feels like something that you wouldn't make now. There wouldn't be someone cracking onto her that hard. We've all seen Sabrina, uh, Chilling Adventures of, and that trope should have been rife and was nowhere to be seen. Oh, interesting. Sorry, I say we. I have. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say I haven't. Oh, and I put lol chillax. 
<laughs> we don't do that anymore. Uh, no. It's an ironic word now, but yeah, chillax is chillax. still a thing. Um, shaky cam right. motion sickness kicking in already for me at this point. Yeah, it's, it's a constantly mobile camera mm-hmm. uh, here. Well, it's supposed to be that we are stalking her, I guess. But it's sure. Still- Still gives me motion sickness. It's a feature, not a bug. It's, <laughs> it's not that they couldn't afford a dolly. No. Well, no, no, but it's it's a di- it's a it's a stylistic directorial thing. There's a fair amount of it in thirteen as well. Yeah. Yeah, and I suppose it is the intimate intimacy thing of that we are, yeah, stalking her as you say. Well, it also puts us at their age group. Yeah. We are at teen height through all of the shaky cam. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I did find it a little bit much sometimes but then i'm 35 in a few weeks so (laughs) (laughs) sucks to be you yikes those preps are making me gotha what does that mean oh gotha more goth yep right sorry (laughs) (laughs) yeah 35 not not 50 (laughs) um yeah they're so preppy but they're supposed to be making the callens look far older far older they're trying to make the callens seem far older Yes. Yeah. Yeah. By being such little kids, irritating, whiny prep babies. Yeah. They well, are supposed. The boys specifically are meant to be like young boys, and the then that means that when the Cullens stroll over with their weird incest family. Yeah, Edward Cullen is a man. <laughs> yes, he's he's a man, and I think somebody called her baby because I've put ooh baby in inverted commas. But yeah, it's still um, everyone but Edward Cullen is a turd. Yes. And they've made it like too apparent. And um, I think most of the Cullens are dressed in white when we first meet yeah. them. Uh, except for Edward, who's dressed in black. Or grey. Grey. He is p- forever in grey because yeah. he exists in the in-between place. Of course. The twilight, one Indeed. might say. Oh, very nice. Jasper and Alice are for sure my people. I would do terrible things with them and fun things with them. And I'm pretty sure I had a Jasper as a friend in school. And a... <laughs> The makeshift wind machine moment. Oh, yeah. I, I really like that. That's really... I've Did said, you? I now understand what I mean by my note. Bella in front of the fan is really nice. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm like, she's got a fan there. Because it's a, it's, it's a romantic comedy meet-cute moment, but it's also very, very clumsy and um, sort of mal-coordinated. Yeah. Which she does... Seems to be a character point for her. It's yeah. supposed to be, yes. And again, from those bits of the book that we listened to... It's made clear throughout the book that she falls regularly. Yeah. Um, which I suppose is also yeah, a she's, she's like dorky and, and yeah, mal-coordinated. Yeah. And she doesn't see herself as like cool and together. Well, it's that thing that everybody did at 16. You either went away that summer holiday and came back with a flipping eight-pack <laughs> and the ability to run for eight to ten hours at a time, or you came back and like some of your limbs were longer than they were and nothing quite worked as it used to you <laughs> yeah. know you're, you're too oh. long for a while yeah <laughs> oh, where did all these limbs come from <laughs> but i did also note that edward makes a face like somebody who's just soiled themselves so <laughs> she doesn't have a monopoly in the strange facial reactions uh, she doesn't front. she doesn't i mean the smell is just too disgusting for our eddie <laughs> So that whole scene where he has owl wings behind him, yeah. this is in Science Lab. Imagine, like, and I'm going to keep saying this because it's important, but imagine if he wasn't a vampire. <laughs> oh, we're not meant to know. Well, this is point. the other thing, yeah. I suppose, yeah, that, like, it seems crazy now to imagine going in to watch this movie not knowing 
that the Cullens are vampires, right? Yeah. And not knowing who Edward is and, and that uh, Jacob's a werewolf and yeah. what have you. But this is very early on in the Twilight saga. Saga. As it's known. <laughs> Indeed. And in the, the fandom, right? So it seems to be pitched at an audience. You know, certainly the books were popular, but it seems to be pitched at an audience that didn't necessarily know, hadn't read the book. So don't yeah. don't realise, you know, so there is a mystery set up here. Edward Cullen is mysterious and different and weird, but... Um, <laughs> and trying not to be sick for the first five minutes he he meets her, yeah, yeah. and then disappears. Yes. And yeah. she feels like that's that's enough to ask him, well, where'd you go? Like when yeah. she sees him next, which it's not. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, he's, they're setting up a mystery here that we yes. know, spoilers, we know the answer to. I want to give Bella water in every single scene. Her mouth is so dry. Again and again. I don't know how they did any kissing scenes. I don't know how she was capable of ingesting food. It's a lot. But it turns out she can't use ketchup, which I've put in block caps because it really genuinely shocked me. She, she, it's. I mean, look. Just look up the scene. Just put Bella ketchup twilight. You'll, you'll, you'll. Oh yeah, it's it's there. Yes. Yes. My note from here. Yeah. The first time I asked this, but not the last, is why is Edward in school at all? Yes. Yes. <laughs> like yes. He, he goes away for a few days and comes back, and it's sort of glossed later on in the narrative that his family are always taking him. Taking yeah. The Cullens. The Cullens are always off camping and things like that. And but the, they seem to have no repercussions for this. No, probably because he is the only doctor in town. The dad. Mr. Carl, yeah, yes. yes. And I forgot, doctors are I forgot expensive. his name. Carlisle. Carlisle, we should Dr. Carlisle Cullen. It's not the last time I will ask, why is Edward in school at all? <laughs> Pervy Santa, I think. We're oh, to... you can do Pervy Santa, because I didn't write any notes about it. Well, my note just here is Bella is a pretty girl, but it's like no one has seen a girl for 20 years in this town. See Will in, in the diner, who comes over to... I suppose, you know, it's a small town, and she's just come... Back. She was four when she was last in town, yeah. So so I, I guess that she's news. But to say she goes to school, she's immediately hit on by... Everyone. Everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, Waylon comes over and, and says something about like whether she remembers him as Santa. And uh, her dad points out that she was last there at four. And he says something about being memorable. Which oh, just, such a memorable Santa. It really comes across as... I mean, there's nothing there that is particularly salubrious in writing but just something about the way the scene is played it feels dirty maybe it was a weird attempt to make us subconsciously not mind that he gets killed and eaten later yeah perhaps <laughs> <laughs> so mum is a space cadet and a misogynist i despise the mother in twilight i remember the first time i watched it being like she is an awful character i really hate her it is because she appears younger than bella mm -hmm. not perhaps physically but definitely in attitude and mentality she's clearly meant to be a bit of a go-getter that got sick of this darn town um well she got sick of it what 14 years prior 13 mm -hmm. years prior she just feels deeply irresponsible and anxious, and it drives me nuts. <laughs> yeah, and she keeps popping up through the film. Yeah. Bella will be on the phone to her if you. And a couple of times, I do wonder, sort of, what is the point of this subplot? Like, well, why? We know why. Well, so she can go back later. 
So that that vampire can use her as ammunition to get Bella back. Because if she was just there, you could just do that. Like, it's meant to be that she wouldn't know that that wasn't her mum just calling it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. It just, there's a few points during the film where we were on the phone with her and it's just, I, I end up wondering you why. You want to talk about boys? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it's, it's, it's strange because one of the things about Bella that we seem to pick up is that she doesn't have like a good relationship with either of her parents and no. her mother has no qualms on saying you know you have to you go and live with your dad because i have to go and do some stuff yeah i'm doing stuff i'm doing stuff i'm very boring. busy and important and um, yeah this is mirrored in i'm getting ahead of myself but when we get to see the family dynamic of the cullen family mm-hmm. and the way she seems to take to that and it feels to me as if she is gravitating to, towards this sort of family, family unit, unit because she doesn't have one. Yeah, I mean, she does like her mum. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. But they're not close, I wouldn't say. And I, it's the mum trying to get closer, saying, is there a boy? How about boys? You like boys? What if she didn't? Bella's <laughs> mum. Anyway, Bella uses her phone like a walkie-talkie this time. So we're using ketchup like it's vinegar, <laughs> and we're using a phone like it's a walkie-talkie. I really enjoy it. I don't know why, it just really tickled me. So much so that I've written it twice. Like it, yeah. Shaky cam completely out of control in the next scene with some maintenance man parkour. Oh. Mm. Um, this is somebody trying to escape a vampire attack. Yeah. Yeah. And it's brief, but it's nicely done. Actually, I didn't mind it at all. It's weird to see a a, a man who you know. Let's be real. He couldn't do that. That is a man they got to do parkour. But it's quite nice. Yeah. The v- action scenes are. Uh, very nicely done for it. It's a twelve A. Yeah. And we've got we've had no content warning on this. No need. And we don't need one. No. And I think that all the action scenes of which this is sort of the first one really, if we discount the hunting scene at the beginning, mm-hmm. which I'll come back to because it's presumably Edward or one of his family because they're hunting an animal. An yeah. animal, but but of course we don't know that yet. But they're all done quite nicely where they feel meaty and they feel believable. But there's also nothing actually for a vampire film. There's almost no blood in this at all, is there? No. Very, very little. And they're well, not... I really like that. We'll come to it mm. later. Oh, I yeah, actually yeah. really like how they, what they do and how they do it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, with that partic- specific, with gore. Yeah. But I think, the, yeah, gore and violence are, re- are really well handled. Yeah. Including here in this bit. Yeah. So I have next that Kristen Stewart couldn't act slipping on ice. And then I say, stop saying girls. So we're back with the kids again. We're back with the young boys. Let a player play was another one. And then I pitched this to you. Have this to be a film not about vampires, but mostly about autism. <laughs> totally works. Totally works with so much of the way that Bella and Edward communicate with each other. Well, I've got a similar note, I suppose, which is they've said Edward is hella awkward in this science quest scene, real shifty. And then my next note is, ah, but they both are. They're a perfect <laughs> match. And there definitely is something of the the two awkward young people yes young people Love. i realize this is a contested term when it comes to somebody who caught spanish flu yes but <laughs> presenting young people who uh, feel for different reasons a little bit out of sync with the world yes around them and they're both yeah awkward and this is one of the things that seems to define their courtship a little bit at least in these early stages i mean i'm not saying that you're wrong i just don't, don't particularly want to diagnose anything no but i'm doing that from the perspective of 
if they if no one was a vampire in this film. Right. Yeah. This is completely a and could very well be yes fair enough it could just be teenage awkwardness but there is a very specific inability to pick up on each other's social cues that i am highlighting there in saying that yes this could easily be a very different love story if at all so any cold wet thing any cold wet thing she says i don't like any cold wet thing well my next note is is this onion flirting is this where they're in the... Oh, are, they, are we still in the science class and we they're looking are. at the onion? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've, I've got... They, they both have secrets. They, sometimes they can make people cry. Uh, you know, <laughs> they, they have. They both have layers. So uh, many layers. Exactly. Um, like well, to be onions. fair, is it an onion or is it allium? Because if it's allium, then they're picking garlic apart and it's a vampire reference. Oh, that's very nice. Mm, let's pretend. Let's give her some kudos in case we're right. Yeah. And you can write in, listener, and let us know if we're wrong. Oh, that's lovely. But that, I suppose, is another example of the vampire. Oh, I haven't got to that yet. <laughs> no, okay. well, we but it's, it's yeah. our fir- if that's the case, it's our first reference of a long line of references where we are fannying about with the rules of vampire. Sure. Um, yes. And what it is to be one and what repels one and what's just Hollywood and what's the real deal. So. Yeah interesting things i was going to put in here as well the the rumor that was around at the time one of the millions of rumors about this film one of them was that Kristen stewart and robert pattinson were an item yeah um, during the time of filming i don't actually remember i think that was true and that they were just kind of both quite chill about it they were just a bit like yeah i guess and then went separate ways amicably later you know mm-hmm. they're not married <laughs> uh, <laughs> you think they have chemistry here Absolutely not on any level, but (laughs) maybe they are um, really good actors and they had to act not having chemistry. Right. You know? For for why? So that teenagers could copy this kind of love and not feel bad about it? Anyway. Sure. But no, there was the rumour going round that Robert Pattinson had had a filter put over his eyes that was done using CGI in order to make his eyes hypnotic, genuinely hypnotic, and force women to find him intensely attractive, even more so than they already did. Yeah. Particularly when his eyes were orange or amber. Mm. It's wild, isn't it? It's so amazing. (laughs) And I remember it so vividly because people were convinced. I met people who were like, oh, did you know about the filter? I'm like, what filter? What are you talking about? And this is kind of genuinely pre-everybody having a smartphone, 2008. Not everybody well, yeah, but it one. wasn't like pre-people having Using their brains. eyes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I also, you know, it's like, if, I'm sorry, but it's like, if somebody's developed this technology, they're not using it to make you enjoy a film that you've just paid money to watch. But it's... Sorry, I know. Look, I've made the I've made all the graph go big on the spectrum analyzer, but yeah, it's, it is properly wild. It's yeah. nonsense, but it's a it is a it's a brilliant idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine what the use would be, but it's lovely. I think the I use would be. I'm oh, sorry. I think the use would be. It explains the way people were reported and popularly thought as behaving. To this film, which was a sort of a mindless shrieking mass, this is one of those films that the fan base was assumed to have no critical faculties whatever. Yeah, and that in plenty of the reviews and the 
often disparaging press commentary on this, they would just be described as, yeah, a mob. I can't remember who I know that has a life-size cardboard cutout of Edward Cullen. But it's from an old cinema bit of promo. <laughs> yeah. and they nicked it out the bin. And they absolutely <laughs> worship the thing. Um, Maybe those filtered, with that filter in his eyes to <laughs> yeah, make them do it. They did it on all the posters as well to yeah, really get you. Yeah. I also wonder if it was made up by a jealous boyfriend that got dragged along to a vampire film thinking, oh, this will be all right. And it wasn't. It wasn't all right. <laughs> it was a it was a teenage romance. Well, yeah, in got, exactly. In yeah. important ways, it's not a vampire film. It's just a film that has vampires in it. And they are different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, stopping a vehicle Superman style and 200 students appearing. Yeah. Um, they come out of the woodwork to gather around those students. Yeah, well, it's an there. exciting no. thing. <laughs> no. Big it noisy just thing. seemed like, I don't know, they'd sort of broken an ant farm. It's um, a practical effect, that actually. That was in. There's a book by Catherine Hardwick, the director, called The Twilight Director's Notebook, which is currently available online for buttons. And. It's a lovely little thing, a little production diary of of the film with a lot of storyboard art and a lot of her mm. notes on filming things. And one of the things from this was how they filmed that, which was that it's a incredibly thin plastic door uh, nice. on the side of the van that they just pushed towards the two actors yeah. on, a, that's on a little on a dolly track that's then sort of digitally painted out and so they just they just push a I think they do it slowly and slightly speed it up but they just push a van into a, Edward's arm and, and his the pressure from his arm deforms the panel what a cool that's thing really it's done it's done physically sort of and in camera which is really nice yeah really nice the palest doctor in town, serious Tom Cruise's Lestat vibes, yes. Um, from uh, Interview, Interview with a Vampire. Vampire yeah. mm. So Bella and her dad are really similar and it's a really sweet detail. And I forgot how much I really liked the dad in this film. Yeah. This is not because of my own issues. This is like, he's a nicely painted character. He's very sweet. He tries really, really hard. It's kind of tragic. No, and he is a well-rounded uh, character, which not everybody in this film... No, is. it's true. There was some delicious gaslighting following, uh, which was I was next to you the whole time from Edward Cullen. Oh, yeah. yeah. Being a poop, <laughs> frankly. I mean, it's really not that convincing, is it? No, no. And, and it's basically... To be fair, Bella is never even slightly convinced, as far as I can see. No, say. that's true. But he is basically going like, vampire? What vampire? And she's like, oh, I said good morning. You know, <laughs> like, it's... <laughs> it's uh, not great. Um... Here's my favourite line in the whole film. It's very common. You can Google it. Talking about <laughs> adrenaline. Oh yeah, he got a surge of adrenaline and that made him super strong. Which, bless him. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> it really tickled me. And again, another little note here on how similar Bella and her dad are. She wears the girl version of his shirt Oh, that's nice. In most scenes that they're together. She's wearing almost his fabric or his colours or his colourways. I was going to say, you know, normally my thing is very much the fashion. And yes, sometimes people wear white and sometimes people wear grey. And when it comes to baseball, I guess I'll talk about it. But everything else looks like an American apparel advert, but desaturated. So it's very little to comment on. Everybody loves grey. The place is grey. The clothes are grey. And the colour filter on this film, I should mention at this yeah. point, because 
everything is i think it's grading rather than a filter yeah but uh, it's a really odd and really distinctive look to the to the film the Would mise en scene it's twilight it's right yeah <laughs> <laughs> I would. And in more ways than one, it's the sort of thing where I feel like if you see a frame grab from it... You know it's Twilight. Even one that doesn't, yes. obviously, I mean, obviously it's got, like, Robert Pattinson with sparkly eyes, you know, then you can tell. But just a shot of, like, the background or something, yeah. you could probably have a good stab because everything is graded so sharply. Yeah. Yeah. Which well, weirdly, really I've been thinking about The Matrix lately, and actually I feel like anything from that you could tell from that weird yellow filter that everything had in The Matrix. Yeah. You know, that strange kind of 90s black and yellow extreme grading thing. Yeah, where yeah. Kind yeah. of everything looks creamy. Yeah. And I suspect that the grading was really cool in 2008. But I, <laughs> uh, not that... Well, it isn't now, but you know what I mean? Like, it, I suspect that it's another one of those things that have now made it look a bit dated that at the time was like, wow... But yeah. I, that is just a guess. <laughs> hey, Ben. Hey, Amelia. I dropped my apple. What are you going to do about it? I'm going to awkwardly and weirdly catch it in a way that quotes the c- cover of the novel that well our film is based on. <laughs> Perfect. Um, also, you know, ultimate sin, yada, yada. Sure. Forbidden fruit, yada, yada. Yeah. Bad apple, yada, yada. <laughs> um, very cute. I genuinely thought that was adorable. And it looks like... It's funny because it's the only time the two of them have an emotion and it's kind of like that's the in-joke look that they do at each other. It lol, kind of lol, breaks. lol. <laughs> look, it's like the book, it's like the book. Yeah, exactly. It breaks for a second. Just, uh, just, I don't know, somebody smiles. Anyway. I don't think it's true that it's the only time they have emotions. Good. Yeah. <laughs> no, okay, okay. It's not the only time they have emotions. It's the only time they have an emotion appropriate to what they're doing and what's happening. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. I would go. say perhaps neither of them are particularly good at articulating their emotions, but they're both doing stuff. Well, Robert Pattinson's an incredible actor. We just saw him in the lighthouse, um, yes, a year and a half ago, but <laughs> this is uh, COVID times. So yep. that was the last thing that we saw in the cinema was the lighthouse. Blimey, yeah. It must have, was it? Yeah, yes. it must have been. Yeah. Crumbs. Um, we, we went in February 2020. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, no time to do anything else nope. after that. <laughs> So yes, and it's fantastic, and he's incredible, and I've been watching him take on more and more interesting roles. Kristen Stewart, I just ignored after this, actually. Oh, and I saw her in Snow White and the Huntsman. Um, yeah, it's fine, but it's Bella uh, in a different dress and wig. So she's, she's got a thing she can do, and she's doing it again. <laughs> well, I must say she's become a bit of a of an icon in the LGBTQ plus community. Yes, so. Not sure what's happened there. She may have taken on more interesting roles that I've just missed because we've all been in a weird eternal prison. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's obviously also something about what she's doing here that worked, right? And that connected with people yeah, in a course, way that we're not course. really getting. <laughs> yes, but we also should have seen it at 17. Yeah. If we were going to connect with it, I do believe that. Given, as in, not that anybody that enjoys it shouldn't have enjoyed it after 17. What I'm saying is in order to connect with it on the level that I that those people have I in my character and persona would have had to have been 17 probably younger if I'm honest I probably would have had to be 12 to 13 because after that point I was a horror aficionado Mm -hmm. and this would have just made my skin crawl (laughs) even then which is probably why 20 odd year old me was so angry about it anyway oh yes (laughs) what if I'm the bad guy says a Scorpio in their teenage years (laughs) 
You probably are, but you're also being boring right now. <laughs> and then we move to a very adorable beach scene where everyone owns a wetsuit. We've been invited down. We've got a baby, baby Anna Kendrick before her real fame, fame, fame. Here she is being adorable. Lots of people asking each other to prom or thinking about it. Things that children do. Yeah, but the prom... They're asking each other to prom yeah. little subplot where Bella sort of magically fixes everybody else's yeah. prom dates. I think is interesting in what it tells us about Bella and her expectations and understanding of romance mm-hmm. and of teenage dating. And one of the things that is sort of thrown at this, laid at this a lot, it, uh, criticism that's laid at it a lot is the idea that it is regressive Mormon propaganda for abstinence, right? And that mm. Bella, as a character, is in some way anti-feminist and also doesn't understand how teenagers date these days. Have you said why you think that? Have you said about the author? No, I haven't. Stephanie Meyer is herself a, a Mormon. Um, the author, yeah, yes, book. of the book, indeed. And also, I understand from some uh, reading that uh, some of these elements are toned down for the film, and that the film takes right. s- makes some decisions that the books don't. Having not read the book, I can't comment directly on that. <laughs> but there is a volume of criticism on the film series, which uh, I've got here. It's called Screening Twilight, Critical Approaches to a Cinematic Phenomenon, edited by Wickham Clayton and Sarah Harmon. Incredible which, names. Uh, good names, aren't they? Yeah. So I've been, I've been working through that, and there's a couple of n- nice essays in there about um, mm. some of the criticisms of the sexual politics of the film. There's a, an article in here by Mark Jankovic, where he talks about the critical reception of the film and he makes a very good point. The film is being attacked both as pornography for teenagers and for women to mm. watch and perv over the men, but also as an abs- a promotion of abstinence. Yeah, I can't lose control around you. Yeah. Is the line, right? Yeah. Um, very nice. Yeah. Which I'll, yeah, I'll come back to when we get to, to that, I suppose. Yeah. There's a hell of a lot of crochet in one scene. Uh, everyone has a wetsuit and everyone has crochet. And Jacob <laughs> returns, right? Oh, yeah. Jacob has red vines. And I have always been intrigued by red vines. I've never eaten them. I just look at... They just look great. What are red vines? There's like twisty American red candy. Oh. I feel like it could be red licorice, but I don't think licorice is a very American snack. No. I, yes, I can. I know what I can see them now. Yeah. I just never knew what they were. And they always look like exactly the texture that I want strawberry laces to be. But yes, those uh, was my main point from that. Apart from that, yeah, we're descended from wolves. <laughs> yeah. Um... Uh, and here we have is Twilight racist. <laughs> So, it's a funny old thing. It's, what is he, is... Quiluate it? Q-U-I-L-E-U-T-E. Yeah, I can't remember how it's pronounced. Okay. So, the Quilati tribe. I think I'm probably butchering it, but that's what they say they're from. What I might do is look it up and splice in a little bit of their saying it now in the film. Okay. Um, did you know Quiluates are supposedly descended from wolves yeah from this tribe they don't really go where the others go and uh he fills her in on their traditions their um, myth yeah the myth of them 
making this agreement with Dr. Cullen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, saying that they won't hunt on their patch, they won't go near their patch, they avoid each other. Yes, yes. But it's just a legend, troll on lol, but, <laughs> but also yeah, the, the you should stop seeing that guy. The Cullens don't come here, which is very ominous, isn't it? Yeah, totally fine, she's yeah. down with that. Yeah. And what I love is that it forces her to do some Googling, and it makes me happy later. She does look his tribe up <laughs> yeah, and say, yeah, what does this mean? which is nice. But yeah, the other thing that he says as well is that they've just moved, they're, they're not from around here, but well, they are from around here, but they've just moved back yes. to the area, which does answer some of the questions that I was sort of scribbling in the margins of my notes all the way through, of like... How has nobody noticed that the Doctor hasn't aged? (laughs) Do you know what it doesn't answer? What? How many times Edward Cullen's been to school? Yeah, well... Maybe they're never never the Cullens twice. Oh, how many times Anne Edward Cullen has been to school? No, how many times... If that's them coming back, they can't go away for ten years and then come back because they've just got Edward Cullen back at the school again. Yeah, and the same teachers would work there. Yeah, that's a good point. Would well, you? if he can yeah. run that first, I guess he can just run down the next town. Yeah, but also, of course, like it could have been ninety years since they were last there. You know, said so that they've yeah. just come back and that's they're true. from there. But there could be sort of fifty odd years between them. And I suppose Edward Cullen's not a terribly common name, but nobody would look through the yearbooks and say there was an Edward Cullen here in Buffywood. Sorry. In in 1952, and yeah. he looked exactly like you, and they say, "Oh yeah, you know, Uncle Edward, I'm named after him, or whatever." You know, no one's going to care. No, that's true. Also, it's not real. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, I put Chow for now, creepy Santa. Uh, oh yeah. Oh no. I know. Dead now. Colour balance look makes Bella look exhausted, and then the awkward prom dress montage with a bit of Bjork, I think, in the background. Ooh, could have chatting been. away. I wasn't sure. But there's panpipe music in the bookshop because it's run by someone from the tribe, obviously. I, and I really identify with Bella's urge to go to a bookshop. She's sitting in the dress shop saying, yeah, it looks nice. And then she sort of breaks and goes, I just, actually, I just wanted to come because I just want to go to a bookshop. I, you know, I feel that. I feel like, I feel a moment yeah, of kinship. Yeah, but you didn't lie in the first place. Uh, to get there yeah know? fair enough I yeah think she could have said like oh you're going into town I want to go to this bookshop here. yeah yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah I don't know why I'm defending Bella you just like books I do like books um, ain't no crime no and I like clothes and that's exactly why I'm not going to comment on either of those flipping awful dresses in that <laughs> shop so bad so bad and actually I've got to say the turnout at my own prom was extremely classy compared to the strange creations those two came up with oh being followed by shadows was interesting so the real threat is the non-supernatural the real this worldly things that don't glitter in sunlight troubling themes at the moment of girls not being able to walk home alone so we'll steer clear for now do you think yeah well we can acknowledge that it's there but this is not really the forum yes to discuss these very real and serious and pressing issues. Absolutely. Um, Edward is now a stunt driver. (laughs) Yeah. And he also manages to make an attempted attack all about him. So maybe I will bring some of this into it. Because (laughs) how can he possibly have just essentially, in the eyes of the film, he's just rescued her from a heinous situation? Which he has. It seems, given that we're set up with the death of Creepy Santa earlier... Yes. uh, The threat that she is in does feel real yes absolutely yes but 
to then go into the the rhetoric that he does is extremely damaging and awful it's it's a disappointing influence on a very young range of people if you imagine that this is a 12a therefore it's going to be 12 year olds and around that above that yeah. that are going to be going to this thing to see it in the cinema and they see this and if their response is mm, poor Edward, <laughs> poor edward that really shook him up then something needs to be done there needs to be another <laughs> discussion happening there because Edward just isn't going to turn up in a stunt driving car. No vampire will rescue you from that situation, IRL. Let alone a guy who has been stalking you to, in order yeah. to know where you live, to, to know where you where you are when you become attacked, is not then going to stunt drive his way into your heart, you know, and then <laughs> become the victim. Because gosh darn it, he's just so angry. He could eat all of their faces. I mean. I could go back there and beat them up. I'm not a vampire. (laughs) Yes, the scene irritated me on every possible level, but I will leave that one there. I do get a strong Angel from Buffy vibe. I know that's also a contentious subject at the moment. And I've put that the Angel from Buffy vibe is a broody liar. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. (laughs) Which I think is fair. Um, I'm going to drop this in here, but I don't know if it'll make the episode or not. But that Mm. a review, again, from, from the same essay I was talking about earlier, a review of the film at at the time film threat said that twilight the movie has reversed everything joss whedon has done for female empowerment which is a take that has aged like milk (laughs) it's true but i absolutely like let's take the buffy franchise let's not name our joss sure let's say is what was the quote it's reversed everything. It's reversed everything. The Buffy franchise. The Buffy franchise has done to empower women. Uh, yeah, I'd agree. Genuinely agree. And I know that that's why, at the time, because I'd been reading a lot of reviews, my main takeaway was that it had made girls into, or the female lead, into something potentially from an 80s film. Unnecessary. Anyway, it is the book's fault, I will say. It's the book's fault. They do try and give Bella some sort of character in this, and I think it's not true that she doesn't have any agency in this. She just, when she makes choices and decisions, which she really does, she seems to have quite a strong sort of death drive. For instance, um, yes, that's true. And a lot of her choices are to be dominated, I suppose, without wishing to sort of bring too much kink into it. Yeah, she seems. There are times at which she sees this is not one of them, goodness me. No, no, no. But maybe she feels, maybe she's ordinarily quite, because when she talks to the boys, she's quite forthright. When she talks to the young boys, yes. maybe it's supposed to be that she's under the Cullen spell. You know, <laughs> um, she's under Edward's charm spell. Yeah. I will say as well, like, I put in here, and I think it's important to note a few bits and pieces. None of this preliminary part of the film would be acceptable to anyone if he wasn't hot. That's a very good point. Not one bit. Imagine if it was like a stereotypically gawky 17-year-old or like like even just somebody who wasn't conventionally beautiful saying any of this stuff to you, you would be screaming the I-word at and, and running in the other direction, you know? Yeah. But... I think that's a really important note. I mean, on the other hand, we could be doing it that what if someone smelled great but looked like I did at 17? And that's not the point I'm making. What I'm saying here is that what he's saying is deeply threatening. It's just Mm. acceptable because she finds him attractive. And that in itself is deeply problematic to me. Sure. You know, on on every level. I suppose, yeah, (laughs) but, you know, it is a thing that has a deep literary 
tradition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, this is a thing that can... Heathcliff in um, Wuthering Heights is a he was violent ne- psychopath. He who... was never a threat to her. He was never a threat to her in Wuthering Heights. I studied it. It's a far cry from stalking her for days and watching her sleep in her room without consent. That's that is yeah. That I mean that that for me is the moment that where I'm, I've written big capital letters like oh no yeah. oh, uh, he watches you sleep ah uh, gross yeah he watches you sleep without your consent as well that's the thing yeah 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 not one recognisable emotion on that face <laughs> but I did put here in my notes and it's dead right twelve to thirteen year old me might have loved this film and felt deeply swept away the the research mode is incredibly perfectly two thousand and nine. And she does Google things and she, yeah. Yeah. And here is a moment where we do a bit of a Queen of the Damned crossover thing where there is nothing on God's green earth that will get a slightly more darkly inclined 13 to 15 year old more excited than a beautiful man in eyeliner. I challenge you <laughs> to a duel if you disagree with me. But truly, also gays and theys. That that specific look of somebody being filmed in faux silent film in a flashback and oh, they've yeah. got the eyeliner on. You're, you're here, you're in it to win it. And here we have Edward Cullen, way back when, with the Spanish flu, being adorable, basically. And it's, I've just put Edward in eyeliner porn for the gals and gays. In the, the woodland they're in is outrageously pretty. It does look like, mm. um, it does look like Scotland, but you say it might be Canada. It's Canada, isn't it? I don't know if it's Canada. Actually. Yes, you looked it up and uh, uh, yes, no, you looked it up when we watched it and oh. it was British Columbia. Yeah, I don't remember that at all. Oh, maybe I looked it up and then I just assumed it was you. I know what you are is such a poorly written scene, <laughs> and it's such an iconic scene, and it really should be this amazing moment. And what it comes out as is like. They could be having that conversation at a bus stop and you wouldn't really even double take at what they were saying. Yeah. I was trying to think at the time while I was watching it what it could what that could be an allegory for or a metaphor for. You know, because a lot of this is very blatantly teenage love and temptation and celibacy versus having an actual fun time. Well, yeah, but... In most of the time, like in your in traditional vampire narrative, part of the the fun and the excitement is that the vampire like wants to suck your blood, yes. right, and wants to take you. Uh, whereas the tension here is because Edward doesn't want to do that, and is very like it is it is Bella who wants him to sex her up. Yes. So the your sort of standard vampire tension is reversed a little bit, if okay. that makes sense. Do you see what I'm getting at? But he wants to sex her as well. He just knows that if he sexes her, he'll bite. He wants to sex her as well. Yeah, in the room. Yeah, I can't lose control with you. Yeah, but but that is... I do feel like she is initiating that. Yeah. I do feel like the drive comes from her. Well, uh, I actually we do differ in theory there. I feel like the drive comes from her wanting to die. Yeah. She's very accepting of death. And... I wonder if she's been seduced by the idea that she can live an eternal life with this person that she loves for no reason. Yeah. Rather than the actual act of sex, I don't feel like that's actually a strong theme for her. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's stronger for him because he's so aggressively drawn to her scent. Yeah, which that... is a very sexual idea. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So, and it's her riding the wave in the hope of getting 
the outcome. Like there is mm-hmm. something in it for her rather than just, gosh, that's a pretty thing I want to bang. <laughs> I know this is a strange uh, question to raise here, but, <laughs> but like in this universe, can vampires have penetrative sex? Like can Edward maintain an erection? Well, you'll have in to the later watch films, the whole I have saga. to watch more of them. Yeah, you'll fair have enough. to watch the whole saga. I have, and I'm not telling. Well, because. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of ways in which this is a romance, like it's a romantic story, and it's quite chaste in in a lot of yeah. these ways. Unless you go for the trad thing of vampirism just being about sex and STIs. Yeah, yeah, but again, it's like he's not he's he's very much trying not to do that and to protect her from that. Oh, there's such. I mean, I want to debate this with you, but it's, <laughs> there's such a toxic masculinity thing of like I'm defending you from myself. And oh my lord, well, yes. That. But that's the whole point of the podcast. I don't know why I said like we should have this off. Talk about it. Um, <laughs> it's not like I think I'm right. This is just an no, interpretation I know, I know, of I the. No, I know, I know, but it, it really is that source. that toxic, awful thing of the only thing that can protect you from me is me. Yeah. When actually she was literally just new to a town and wondered why someone gagged when they smelled her. Like, you know, that's yeah. pretty much the extent of it. And from there, somehow. And him stopping her being sexually assaulted by a group of men in a car park, she's like, love of my life. I can take any information about you. Let's do this. Yeah. Now, on the one hand, we're looking at magical realism and perhaps that is to do with being under the spell of this magical creature, this this amazing... And he even says it like, I'm designed for you to want me yeah. so that I can, you know... But again, from the perspective of looking at it as a metaphor... That's like, I'm a beautiful guy, I don't want to hurt you, which is just one of the most irritating things to hear come out of a man's mouth. Sure. You know? He is a vampire, though. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, But again, it's interesting, actually, because this is where we learn that the <laughs> Cullen family are vegetarians, right? Quote, unquote. That, like, they have, unlike the other vampires that killed Pervy Santa, etc., they have all decided to be, quote, unquote, good. Right? Yeah, they, which, they kill animals. Yeah. Which makes him, which sanitizes him a little bit, makes him safer, makes it a little bit more romantic again. Yes. And but apparently keep, disappoints her. Sorry. Well, of course it does. Of course it does. <laughs> because it makes him impotent. Yeah. But also, and she's obviously living the fantasy, thinking like, well, now he's a killer. You know, yeah. what else can you do? What, what else have you got? I will say as well, it puts him closer to being animal like predator like animal in the wild more so than and actually weirdly more romantically i would say this sort of i am driven to kill but i'm not a bad guy um which is a different angle Mm. again but all of this and i'm sorry i've been doing too much of the other kind of reading but all of this screams of i couldn't help myself i'm just driven to do these terrible things i'm so sorry take me back stuff yeah oh god i'm not saying it's without problems i just i didn't say that no i'm just saying yeah Mm. yeah 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 so we move on to you have got to see what i look like in the sunlight because it is fabulous (laughs) like yes come and look at me i'm the world's most dangerous predator and i'm like red flags all over the place and bella still wants the d (laughs) like so many i'm the i'm the world (laughs) this skinny slip of a thing He's very beautiful and, yes, designed to be adored by many mm. in the film and outside of the film. But I'm the most... Just the delivery of it as well. I'm the world's most dangerous predator. You're not. <laughs> we can see you're not. I'm pretty sure... I mean, you're quite fast. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, we we see him fight later on, of course. Oh, yeah. I mean, I suppose it's supposed to be a bit of a Beauty and the Beast moment. Yeah, it? and I suppose also when she goes on that date and goes around to his house later on and she says, I'm not... I'm not frightened of you because again we've we've not yeah. seen anything of this and that's when but then of course he takes her up some trees which is a nice scene well done but it's not like she yeah he doesn't snap her neck no <laughs> which is nice but again I, I feel like he understands he the from if we take the content of his words rather than the way they're presented which do, does work to undermine them <laughs> to some extent yeah like he is aware of the enormity of death he's lived through a great deal of things yes and he's seen a great deal probably presumably in that time uh, whereas yeah. she seems she's like i don't care i don't mind Please kill me. This is my place to promote gothsuptrees.tumblr.com. Um, <laughs> there he is doing a wonderful example, like wonderful service to that particular site. It's very Peter Pan energy, actually. Uh, the whole scene, forever young, misunderstood, etc., etc. And her mm. saying, I, I know I will age. And having that same dialogue in her mind while he says, no, boo, go away, Germ girls have germs. <laughs> yeah. The lying in the grass scene is incredibly dreamlike and it looks like a cover of Dazed and Confused magazine from about, I think it came out in 2000 and how old am I? Yes, so it came out in about 2010, so really around this time. And it's, have a Google because it's beautiful, um, but it is like very Midsummer Night's Dream, very Twilight very that it i i have a strong memory of lying with a lover in grass as a teenager like it really is yeah that kind of the smells and things it's very beautiful and it's memed to high heaven for obvious reasons but it's such a recognizable moment really gorgeous flashback to being turned in in 1918 i was really impressed with that mm, um, and the spanish flu is a nice uh, detail it well. is it is why do teenagers love a wet look hero? It's so <laughs> thing you know, and I've had my fair share of rainy outdoor fun as a teenager, most mm -hmm. of it X rated. But it's seriously like it's it's a weird thing. I, I haven't managed to pinpoint why that's attractive. Because not everybody looks good wet. No, that's true. Some people just look like a forlorn rat. <laughs> you know? That's me, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a sad bear. Yeah. <laughs> But yes, I am powering through because I realise I've got this many notes and we're on an hour and 30. No, so. I know, I know. I've got lots to say. I'll try and get some more. I'll okay. try and squeeze some more in. Yeah. But also, ultimately, I'll be editing it. So. I know, I know. <laughs> um, well. uh, but the... Well, I want to say something about dinner at the Vamp's house before the tree climbing. Please do. Um, Anti-veganism propaganda there with the tofu comment. Oh, rude. yeah. That was weird, wasn't it? Yeah. Some people can live on tofu, but they wouldn't. What was it? Yeah, it's a slightly weird metaphor. It's just like all of the, like, it's like, yeah, you can survive on it, but it isn't <laughs> it's good. It's not real food. It's not real food, not like steaks. <laughs> and it, it's just, yeah, the metaphor just isn't, doesn't work, does it? Like, I see what they're going for. It's not completely, um, but it, yeah, it's My second favourite line in the whole film, could you at least act human? I have neighbours. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I want to put in a vote for his, at the restaurant earlier where he says, I have a special diet. I have a special, oh, quite like I have, yeah, yeah. special type of diet, which is presumably, of course, blood. Yeah, very special. <laughs> yeah, I want to say as well, wrong. the sound design in this film is very crunchy, very graphic, and it's actually really effective. I really mm. like it. Everything, I was going to say it's a bit like an apple, but everything is apple crisp. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's really, um, 
visceral and i think that's a really good tool for later when we're doing a lot of biting and a lot of bleeding yeah because that sound you you become attuned to it by that point so that those things are doubly shocking and disgusting and it really works it really works i have genuinely always loved the cullen house too many windows but as he says you know we're alone here i think that's a high risk having <laughs> spent the whole of lockdown walking everywhere I've walked past some houses in the middle of nowhere. I would have noticed if everyone was glowing, you know. <laughs> but yes, it's a hell of a lot of windows and I don't sleep. Oh, yeah. His room is absolutely fit. It's really nicely done. But mm. you've been alive since 1901 and you only have that much music and no books. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's the well, the John Waters thing is if you go home with somebody and they don't have any books, don't come, which I will beep. <laughs> but you know that's what he said I was listening to Debussy just casual this slow dance to Claire de Lune made my skin crawl but I get it teenage me well Debussy's about contemporary me. with yeah, with he was born in 1901 then it's not unreasonable for him to have been into Debussy when he was alive maybe like in terms of time yeah but he was born in 1901 he was like he died at 17, so yeah. he would have been exactly in time for it not to be Debussy as like his main man. No, I know. And of course, he's been alive all this time. <laughs> and actually, because we, we do, it's not mentioned, but we do get a shot of his music collection, which yeah. of course I spotted. And he seems to have like CDs and records and yeah. 78, because he's been buying music for 100 years, presumably. Yeah. But yeah, he's still into his Debussy. But his Debussy stuff and then his piano playing where he plays that song for her. Oh yeah. Is I've got a note here which says is pitching Edward as a real Byronic hero, but I didn't make the connection at this point until I read an essay which I am gonna credit again, Judith Kohlenberger's essay, Why Twilight Sucks and Edward Doesn't <laughs> um, which is in that edited collection I mentioned earlier, which uh, points out or suggests that Dracula is a red herring here and we should be really looking further back to earlier literary vampires yes. and re reminding me that uh, the Vampire was the book that Polidori wrote at the Villa Diodati where Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein. Yes. And yes. that it was f first thought it was attributed to Byron, the vampire tale, and certainly sort of plays into Byron's idea and image. And Interesting, yeah. Edward here is a much more Byronic figure. Uh, it's sort of tragic and um, sad and sublime and lonely and noble you know yeah. than a a dracula figure or you know the, the, that strain of, of vampire and um uh, stephanie Meyer has a degree in english literature so would be well aware of, of this stuff. that's interesting do you think they picked claire de lune because that translates to moonlight because yeah. they didn't have one that was in popular awareness called twilight do you think yeah. it would have gone that far i think i think it's I think that, but also the idea in uh, some vampire literature, including some of the romantic stuff that mm. driven, that that vampires gain power from the moon. Ah, of course, yes, yes, yes. Uh, they might be doing like a dancing in the moonlight <laughs> pastiche. Anyway, it'd be amazing though if he was like, yeah, you know, I've been a around for a hundred years, and, <laughs> do, 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 and do. <laughs> yes. this is the best music. <laughs> <laughs> She would have done exactly the same face, though, and probably the same dance. Yeah. We should just mix the scene. Anyway, <laughs> more weird piggybacks. 
I want to be in that woodland so hard. And there's almost like an anime score while they pee about in the tree. Mm. Like it's it's really uh, yes, it's dreamy, but it also like it has strong um, Studio Ghibli vibes. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, you know. Yeah. Um, and you had a look and saw how they did it. Uh, so that is real people. Eh? It's real people. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a small amount of uh, compositing and some green screen work when we get the faces of. Bella and Edward flying through the air. Yeah. But to do that, they just launched a couple of stunt people out of the house window into the trees on a wire that they then painted out. Yeah. And the because the house is real, she put an extra story on it because she thought it should be bigger. So the, the top uh, story of the house is digital, but the interesting. But the, the the it's a real location, and a lot of the shots are of stunt people really climbing trees. Yeah. Yeah. It's also not in the novel that is added uh, for the film, apparently, that that scene. What an interesting, strange choice. This film defined a new kind of goth, um, but potentially inspired some terrible choices for people in their relationships later. Just saying. If your attachment style was formed using Hollywood films, it shouldn't be this one. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, forming your attachment style via Hollywood films is a bad idea anyway. <laughs> yeah, but really not this one. Um, I would rather you did it with Beauty and the Beast than this one. <laughs> All right, Gaston, he's a handsome fellow. Yeah, but you don't pick him, though, do you? Pick the one that trapped you in a castle and killed your dad. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> dad is a low-down hottie. He's kind of hot, but I hate her mum so hard. So this is Bella. Bella's family? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is where I've got my note. The subplot with Mother on the phone is odd because it's like, why why are we cutting back to her? Why is she important? And I get it, it's to add a little boys. bit of... Boys? Yeah. We've got to talk <laughs> about boys. I knew there was a guy because there couldn't have been a girl. Dad doesn't want to talk about boys, though, because after, <laughs> immediately after we... we but yeah, immediately after they spend a night together, I think, he starts polishing his gun. <laughs> but yeah. that's... Sorry, I've interrupted your point. No, no, go for it. That was it. Um, so many invasions of privacy. Ooh, don't watch me sleep, flu boy. <laughs> um, and you also had... What was your note for this scene? This sleeping, watching... He likes watching her sleep. Ooh, gross. Yeah. In caps. Yeah, literally the same amount of ease on the U. They are both very beautiful in this scene. What I really liked about the whole scene was that a sexual experience went wrong, so they just hung out. And that's possibly the only healthy choice made in this whole film. Yeah, fair enough. You know, like they just, she said, don't go. He didn't go. Yeah. And then they had quite a nice night and he ended up watching her sleep anyway. But that's, that was with consent. (laughs) Exactly. It's all about, it's all about consent. Because I do feel like there are moments in this film in which Bella makes choices and decisions that are perhaps not wise and that are perhaps self-negating yeah but we assume that she has informed consent and can make those choices and you know we know enough about like bdsm lifestyles that we don't have to suggest that people who choose submissive roles are in any way powerless or that they don't have agency but she's not legal in america yeah no but you you know (laughs) yeah i guess but then they haven't had sex (laughs) no but it's not the point she has a flipping 200 year old Oh yeah, yeah. It's the thing. That's the yeah. The you know, age difference. <laughs> yeah, and also that the dad gets a vibe as mm-hmm. well. You know, um, I I was going to ask you: Is dad an alcoholic? Uh, frequent scenes where there's cans dotted around, and then she Ooh. brings him another can. That's really odd. He gets introduced formally to Angel. I mean Edward Cullen, <laughs> and. You know, there's no mention of the... I, and again, I assume this is just another moment where they break a few 
vampire tropes, but he doesn't have to be invited in. There's yep. no fuss made about it. Otherwise, he couldn't have just watched her sleep. Yeah. And then I've put in big letters, baseball. I used to love Muse. And then Supermassive Black Hole was the song that they picked for a couture baseball game. I will say, yes, the only thing I like about... And I've actually put, this effing scene should have been removed. I genuinely could watch Quidditch compared to this absolute perfume advert. Ah, I didn't mind it. Oh, really? The baseball (laughs) sequence. But because to me, it is almost a sort of parody of the way sport is sometimes televised. As if, as if all of the athletes are sort of superhuman and, oh, okay. and running around. And here they are, superhuman, running around and like faster than a speeding bullet and able to sort of sprint so fast that they leave a motion blur behind them and things. But yes, it is a little bit like an advert for sportswear or something. I mean, the sportswear in it is wonderful. It's kind of borderline manga fetish in, in a good way. Like, it's, yeah. it's really genuinely really stylized compared to the rest of the film... Where, as I say, we are all in muted tones. This one is really nicely monochromatic. Everybody looks related. They're doing the girl band thing where everyone looks like they belong in the band, but they're all wearing a different variation. I particularly love knee-high socks with the shorts creating a kind of faux stocking effect. It's really nice on a couple of them. And two of them wear the baseball cap like, like it was made for them. But that's that's my lot from that entire scene. Fair enough. Well, uh, my my yeah. only note on this is eyes, 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 because we get a lot of shots of people's eyes close us <laughs> on the right. But I suppose thinking about it now, it is also a family activity. I was going to say, yeah, of they the all type that she just related. doesn't have. Yes. And yes. Bella is, uh, you know, you you could imagine that there would be some kind of tension there yeah. when uh, Edward comes home and says, like, you know, Dad, I'm dating a a live one. Yeah. Um, and that. It is mentioned when she goes around for dinner and they say, you know, if this goes wrong, we're all in trouble. But they immediately pull round mm-hmm. and shield her and protect her, perhaps a little bit too much in a lot of ways. I think she's over-shielded and protected generally, yeah. <laughs> which is a sort of slightly odd narrative. Oh, but, I don't know. I but, think they're on this side of caution when you're all superhuman and yeah. some idiots brought a non-superhuman. Yeah, they're so the fragile and, and mortal, aren't exactly. they? Exactly. But, but, but yeah, they, you know, they're a, they're a family unit who play games together and she's part of that and she's it's another way in which she's brought into a family because in yeah. some ways she's sort of the archetypal like abandoned teen she's not an orphan but she's from no. that kind of a, you know if this were a a sort of victorian novel mm. um with a, with again some um hat tipping to judith kohlberger that She's a 19th century heroine in a lot of ways who are quite often quite passive and have to overcome great, terrible things happening to them, which they usually do through faith, and then, you know, they get married at the end. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, But she is the orphan or the symbolically abandoned child Mm -hmm. who meets this wonderful, sparkly human and then they endure great hardship together and yeah the good end happily and the bad end unhappily that is what fiction means right from miss prism i think in um the importance of being earnest right check out the baddie in her ikea rug cape uh did you know that in in for a lot of the costume design for game of thrones mm-hmm many of the extras capes and including a couple of the capes in the very first season 
are in fact Ikea sheepskin rugs. I did not know that. There are tutorials that you would be welcome to look up where in three small folds you can make yourself a Jon Snow style capulet. Anyway, oh, this is what she's wearing. Very good. <laughs> this is what Victoria's wearing. Laurent and Victoria are gorgeous, but James is not. Is he the sort of twitchy one? He's the bad one. one. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, like, Laurent is go- like jaw-droppingly gorgeous. You know, Victoria's fine. She's doing what she's mm-hmm. there to do. And James, James just looks like the lead singer of um, like In Me. You know, like very <laughs> yeah. strange to see him there with the wrong kind of eyeliner. So, Edward can run faster than a car. Why is he driving? I did wonder that. Yeah. Did you? <laughs> well, because also, like, very, uh, not very long before, we've seen him like say like as if he could outrun me when he is when in the woods mm. and he is explaining all the ways in which he can kill her and is designed to be bad for her and how like she smells so good that he just wants to drink all of her blood delish he specifically says like you couldn't outrun me i, I can go yeah. faster than you and then we see him climb some trees like it ain't no thing leap out of a window yeah he can go a lot quicker but he's fine he's gonna drive a car anyway oh my other note on this is do all vampires play baseball because when the other vampires turn up they immediately want a game before it goes wrong and it's like is this just a thing do vampires play baseball what a weird yeah also Laurent is like not here for baseball you know yeah like how is that the thing that you do to have peace like surely have a drink well no because I mean like kill a deer right yeah but I mean there's a there's a human girl right there and she smells incredible yeah, but only to James and when the wind blows. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, no, we're fine. So, yeah. hurt him to save him Moulin Rouge style. So, James has got a penchant for Kristen Stewart. Yeah. And they're all trying to get him away from him. So, we have this amazing <laughs> Scooby-Doo style daddy-daughter conversation while she tries to hurt dad's feelings yeah. um, to get rid of him. But the in and out of doors thing really made both of us laugh. Yeah. Um, also, it's a it's a it's a comic idea as well where they get in the car and then it's like, okay, we need to get you away from here. And she's like, no, I have to go home. Like, remember, we told my dad I'd be home. Yeah, this is I can't just leave leave state. Like, I have well, to go home. I'm a re- teenage remembering girl. Remembering she's a teenage girl. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. And she really does break his heart. I've put I love Bella's dad. It's so sad. And then I put a little sad face. Like I actually drew yeah. one. Yeah. No, it's a nicely done little scene, and yeah. it's well it's well done from the pair of them. To be fair, actually, yeah. I can't really fault her in this one. It's quite unambiguous what. No, she, <laughs> what d- she's she does a great across. job. Um, literally no personal space for Bella, even in a van. Mm. Uh, he actually manages to somehow. Get in the driver's side. Yeah. And anyway. Just, just sort of push her out of the way. <laughs> and no swerving at the car. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, well, he's like, obviously, because he's incredibly good at fast at running and good at baseball, he's also better at driving her car. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> this is, I, know, this, this is a, I don't know, we just, we'll go with it. This is fine. Tired of James games. Ch- tired of the James games. James games. I feel like it's important. James's hair is truly terrible, is another detail <laughs> that I've written there. Oh, and the town they go to has street vases. Oh, I didn't notice that. massive street vase in the, <laughs> in the middle of the shop. Um, and then a nice twist. So this is, we think that we're following them being followed by James. Oh, yes. But they've done a bit of a dummy. Yeah, the, the, and the chase sequence is well done. Like, there is, it's, it's tense. Yeah. You do find yourself engaged yep. in it and... 
wondering what's going to happen. Yep. Vampires have no reflection myth completely busted here. Yeah. And chucking her about a bit probably would have broken her spine. This is her coming to the call of what she thinks is her mother being tortured by James. Yeah. She's heard her voice on the phone again and just assumed that was the truth. But yes, I think chucking her against that thing where she actually looks in pain would have broken her spine. The leg break is really dark. Mm. Like it feels really aggresso. No, it made me go like, oh, because we haven't really, again, it's a 12A and it's yeah. and it's very well pitched as a 12A, but it, it is a real shocking bit of violence in a yeah. film that doesn't have very much of that. Yeah, and it's proper malice, you know. Yeah. It's a really incredible fight scene. Mm. Uh, the painful venom, as mentioned before, in previously in the film, they talk about this painful venom when you get bitten by a vampire. Mm. And there's a real requiem for a dream thing about the wound, yeah. which you, I just didn't want to look at. It looked gross, uh, which is good. It means it's perfect makeup, special effects. People have done a good yeah. job. But also that a lot of this scene looked like if Underworld had had the resources, the film, hmm. the Underworld franchise, if they'd had the resources, their first film would have looked a lot more like this. And I feel like they were also partaking in the old uh, blue filter or the old blue mixing yeah. to make everything appear a little bit darker than it was but this was it done really really tastefully it was also in everything at that time wasn't it yeah, like, totally. Do- Doctor Who at that time was using like Wales' entire supply of blue light <laughs> for anything sort of slightly otherworldly, otherworldly yeah. Or, yeah. them ripping him apart and burning him is brutal and amazingly done so there's this mm. constant thing of like I'm going to take off his head and tear off his limbs and burn him that, um, the only way to be sure Edward keeps threatening in exactly the same words but yes they do it in the background and actually the and again when I was reading I had a little flick at that book the it's, Catherine Hardwick one about the making of it yes and uh, one of their favourite bits one of the main bits that they wanted was Alice to rip the head off James Yes. in the background, but it's so nicely done. It's not true gore, it's just nasty and suggested, and all of it's in shadow and in blur yeah. happening in the background, but really, really nice. But while, it feels um, adult, you know, it, without overstepping the bounds of the certification. It does yeah. feel grown up, if you'd like. Yeah, yeah. And not the decapitation, but the the bite... The bite feels erotic, and her sort of you again. her moans, and yeah. the fact that she's prostrate, lying there like that with the men over her, has erotic overtones to yeah. it. Yeah, it's not controversial. Well, the cross-eyed thing is is <laughs> yeah taking that too far, isn't it? Shaky cam overload, I've written. Yeah, and then the <laughs> we're in the hospital, so I've moved forward a bit. Edward's trying not to drink all of her. Um, yeah, I suppose the only thing I would mention here is that all of these things, like the what's happening to her, the 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 pain of the of the venom, and then Edward's overcoming of his desires, are all set up earlier in the film in a way that doesn't feel like clunk. Here's a bit of plot that will be useful no. later, and they all pay off quite nicely. And then yeah. yes, then we're in the hospital. My third favourite line in the film. You went through a window. Yeah, that sounds like me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm so clumsy. I went to a hotel. I fell down the stairs. Yeah. And I went through a window. And that's just, that's so Bella. (laughs) Um, Clumsy old bells. (laughs) That dress is awful. Oh, yeah, that dress was awful. So they go to prom. Her hair looks incredible. The dress is terrible. She's wearing leggings. Now, I know 
before anybody bothers to come for me. She has her leg in a splint. Whoop-de-doo. You mm-hmm. can dress well and have an injury, <laughs> it turns out. But I guess she doesn't really care. And it, we'd have to look at what her dad was wearing that night to find out why she was <laughs> wearing that terrible thing. Anyway... Yeah, and again, I've put really not much to say about the fashion in this film, as there are only four colours present in the entire thing. Hi, Jacob. Bye, Jacob. Yeah. I also put, lol, prom poker? Question mark. It's like poker and a roulette wheel. Yeah, I don't really understand prom. Um, The whole prom. The whole prom thing. The idea of prom. Because it's a thing that comes up a lot in American life. It certainly comes up in a lot in American media. Films, TV, etc. Is this... Mm the most important thing but I, I don't I, I do understand it. It, it leavers do is what we had most yeah of the kids called it prom but leavers do was a big deal they went to a fancy place I didn't I mean that one I actually cared about mine mm-hmm. as well mine was really sweet in the end I did a lot of dancing and had some champagne first and I think we arrived at a jag oh, but lovely. yeah but it was a good time and lots of people saying the things they didn't feel like they could say the rest of the time. You know, it's cute, but it was very American. It's a very American idea. And I think they have, obviously they have things like winter formals and dances mm-hmm. throughout the time. So it makes sense that the big one would be the thing, the promenade. But it would have been yes. to, initially, to sort of, yeah, to to literally promenade with your bow. Wouldn't sure, it? To, yeah. to go stepping out together. Yeah. But the the fact that there was so much stuff going on, given that this is a tiny rural town and they had gambling at their at their prom, <laughs> yeah, seems a little seems bit. Odd. Yeah. But I also feel with those kind of scenes that we are basically prepping for people's weddings, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. So, one thing is remember that in these scenes, no music is playing. Go back and watch it on mute and see what those people are doing. You've got Edward Cullen fine shouting over something that isn't there. Mm-hmm. You've got Bella not shouting in the same way because there's no music playing. Yeah. And then you've got everybody in the background dancing in different timings. But I really absolutely adore, like if I could take one thing from the noughties and bring it here, the heavily fairy lit gazebo slow dance. Oh. Like it's bloody everywhere at this time <laughs> and it's gorgeous. And then I put how many Twilight fans had this song as their first dance at their wedding? <laughs> the song that plays when they dance in the gazebo yeah. how many of them have tried to recreate that subconsciously or otherwise how many people wore that terrible dress all of these things yeah. um, I feel like are, create just a deeply manufactured moment but when I talk about the weddings and stuff when you think of iconic moments in all these sort of romantic films many of them involve a gazebo but more of them have this like look at this grand massive day what makes a massive day massive? Other things. Because, you know, the prom is literally just, if you're lucky, there's food. <laughs> you know, but mostly you're there to dance and say silly stuff and sneak drinks when the teachers can't see you. Yeah. Like that. Well, we had the after party afterwards. So there was like, oh, nice. we had the, the leavers dance, the leavers do bit, which yeah. was, I think ours was, certainly there was a meal to yeah. it. You know, and then there was like the formal dance bit. And then we all rented a hall in the middle of nowhere and all piled out there. That's afterwards. good. Yeah. What did you arrive in? Oh, nothing special. Uh, yeah, I arrived, yeah. I arrived at an S-type Jag and I left in a Hummer limo. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> that was a weird night. <laughs> <laughs> you talking about the wedding thing is... Mm. Uh, and preparation for weddings is interesting, given, as you say, that Jacob sort of pops up, he's just hiding in the bushes with his pals. <laughs> yeah. But then, and 
says some derogatory things about Edward. Edward, and then is very like proprietorially led away into the dance. Yes. By Edward, which is very much a a, a claiming, a, a, mm. you know, a uh, it's a it's a proprietorial move. Yes. To be like you know, come away with me into this heteronormative ceremony, right? Uh. Yeah, dead right, dead right. Yeah, yeah. But what is the message we leave the film on in order to to get a sequel? Because I've just put "Don't take Radiohead No" because it's the song uh, Fifteen Step." by yeah. Radiohead which is bloody great the whole thing's in 15 step it's really difficult to do you try drumming along to it I bet you can't <laughs> but what is the point what what's what does it end on well I suppose him brooding him brooding but also it's about Bella's choices I think yes because she obviously she told her dad that she had to go back to her mother, yep. not because she really wanted to, but because she had to break his heart to get out of yep. this. But then when she comes to in the hospital, uh, her mother is there and her father is downstairs and it almost sounds a little bit as if there's been some kind of uh, a little bit of a thaw between the two of them. Because yep. it took this to get them to speak to each other. And, but her mother is saying, oh, you know, you're going to love it. We're going to have you back. All this is going to happen. And then she's like, what? We no. can take coke off the bathroom toilets again. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> yeah, but also because we've spent the last hour or two hours with Bella, hour and a half with Bella, we we have an idea of yeah. what she wants and what she likes, and obviously that. Edward Cullen is both of them. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but and also by extension, you know what her mother is talking about is obviously of no interest yeah. to her. But probably even. Without Edward Cullen, this doesn't seem like the girl that we've, we feel like we've got to know a little bit. Mm. And then going to the prom with Edward mm. like this. And um, it is, I suppose, in a way, it is about her choices and all that that implies, right? And and mm. again, which is the through line where she says, like, I, she's determined and she seems to be determined to to die, right? To become, yeah. to, be, to be with Edward and to be like Edward. Dying is easy. <laughs> which... It's not that she doesn't have any agency or have any desires. She's often painted as a very passive figure. Yeah. Whereas it is just, well, I say just, whereas I would characterise it more as that she has this thanatophile lover of death. Uh, Yeah. Consistently all the way through. And I suppose it's no coincidence. I'm not laying the blame for Fifty Shades of Grey on this film or this book. Of course. But it did famously start off as fan fiction. Twilight fanfic, yes. which then had the serial numbers filed off and was <laughs> uh, yes. was printed to enormous sales and its own film adaptation by a award-winning female director, right? Yeah. Um, Sam Taylor Wood, yeah. I suppose what I'm reaching towards is that they are the, the character arcs in both of these mm. are odd dark mirrors of each other. And at the end of this... Bella has chosen, she's been offered a life of light, if you'd like, or a, light, yes. a life of what she's offered a way out of Forks. Uh, she's offered a way away from all of this. And and I think Edward says at some point that you should go. We can't mm-hmm. see each other. This is really bad for you. And she has decisively chosen to stay there mm. and to stay in that situation and to stay in the sequels. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. to have more films. But... You know, aside from the filmmaking perspective point of view, she has decisively chosen that life or mm. that and or that death, right? Depending on what comes yeah. next. 
Yeah. And, and for me, that's the that's the through line out of the film. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I think that's us. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. I well, well, I suppose. Did you enjoy it? Would be the last I, thing. I did enjoy. It. I know it's an enjoyable film. I think I enjoyed it for ironic reasons more than I en- if it was a balancing scale. Yeah. I think I enjoyed it more ironically and for the awkwardness than I did for the being gripped by a film. But actually, it has a real place in culture that I enjoy and that I think it's good that it exists. Do you know what I mean by I that? Know, I yeah. think it's enjoyable. I think it's good it exists. I think the genre did need a shake-up, no matter how annoyed I was about that at the mm-hmm. time. And I will say like places like Korea and Norway were doing more interesting things with it at the same time, yeah. at exactly the same time. But this one, I'm not mad at it. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like a lot of the problems that I have with it are due to the source material rather than the <laughs> film adaptation. Yes, which does some interesting things. I mean, and it is, yeah. it's it's not terrible. It's an enjoyable film with some caveats, which I feel like I've adequately covered <laughs> in the preceding yeah. however long this turns out to be in the edit. Anything else you want to say? Oh. Um, dying in the place of someone you love is how we start the film yes. right when we get her voiceovers and it's very much in that portentous like oh this is, this is the story of how i die kind yeah, of thing yeah. which is something that is spun around towards the end when we discover that she, she thinks she's dying in the place of her mother is the person yes. that she loves but it's a character point for bella and it's the first thing we learn about her is that yeah. she's perfectly okay with the with the idea of dying for her mother. Why didn't the vampire kill her mother? There wasn't any need to. No, I suppose, but he's a nasty man. I suppose he enjoys the... He's really into the, the hunt. He's really into the chase. Yeah. Yeah. He wanted to kill Bella because... He liked how she smelled. Yeah, well, she smells great. But also he wanted to <laughs> hunt her. He wanted the, yes, he did. He wanted the sport. I mean, there's no sport in breaking into a person's home that you know lives there yeah. and just killing them. No. But certainly using that woman as a lure was yes, that's much more the, fun. Yeah, yes. of course. Yeah. That was the only thing. Cool. <laughs> right, that's us. Thank you very much for sticking around and listening. Next week we're going to be looking at A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Absolutely fascinating take on vampire film i would say yeah it's from around about the same time as this as well so it's something else that was happening at the we we look at them as contemporaries it's a very different way of doing it it well it's american although the crew are of iranian descent it was yes it was sold as the first iranian feminist vampire movie which is a fantastic hook it's not strictly speaking entirely true but it's (laughs) such a good idea yes that i will allow it go for it absolutely um it's an interesting one we'll let you know where to stream that from if you'd like to support the podcast and you like what we do please please leave us reviews and subscribe so we are on well wherever you listen to this obviously subscribe (laughs) and all the rest of it to that if you would like to email us the email address is hauntedpicturepalace at gmail.com 
That can be for pretty much anything. Please try not to send us abuse. We love you. <laughs> if you'd like to follow us on social media, we are available at haunted underscore picture underscore palace on Instagram. And we're now on Twitter. We are. Yes, I haven't done much with that yet. But by the time you listen to this, there'll be at least a tweet up, I promise. That's true. And we are there as Pod. Because Haunted Picture Palace didn't fit. <laughs> too many characters. <laughs> yeah, because we're too we cool. Yep. Thank you so much for listening. Have a magical evening, day, morning, afternoon time, whatever you're up to. And <laughs> Please delete as appropriate. Yeah, and don't have nightmares. <laughs> we'll oh, see you bye. soon. Oh, bye. Bye. Lovely. Anecdote re-cinema cue. Ah, clever girl. <laughs> okay. Clever girl. Mm. Um. <laughs> My own notes make me laugh. Oh dear. Right. Um. Yes, because Carlisle Colin can't. Doctor Carlisle cut. Dr. Cullen, um, Carlisle to his friends, is... Uh... <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. You right? Yeah, I was just trying not to laugh, but I couldn't manage. <laughs> Daddy Cullen. Anyway. <laughs> That's what I call him. Yeah.